Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage this evening's guest moderator, John Oliver, and tonight's guest, DJ Javabaum. Good evening. Good evening, uh, good evening, temporary Soho Apple Store. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. It is my pleasure and my kind of contractual obligation as a colleague and borderline friend to introduce you to DJ Javabaum, uh, David Javabaum. Now, David is uh, one of you know, the most talented writers I've ever worked with. I've known him for five years and I respect him as uh, a, an artist and as a man, one slightly more than the other, but the high level of respect is in the only area that he would actually want the respect in. I won't tell you which one that is. Uh, he's an incredibly funny, incredibly talented man. I have not read this book. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie to you, that functions as both a joke and a fact. Um, but in a way, that puts me in a good position because it means I'm in the same situation as all of you. If any of you have read this book, please feel free to switch places. Uh, DJ, congratulations on the book. Thanks. Hypothetically. Thank, thank you. I think, I think you would have liked it. Well, let's, let's try and find a way over the next hour or so to try and convince me to spend time reading it. I'm a busy human being, DJ, both hypothetically and as myself. Why, why would I read this book? Were you not prepared for this? I don't... Oh, I'm prepared for it. Are you not prepared for a question quite that searing? Why would I read the book? In the broadest sense, why would I read a book? I know you must get bored answering the same question lots of times. Where did you get the idea? Why would I read this book? This is the, the last testament of God. As it says in the book, I was, you know, God contacted me and there was a burning couch in my office and it was on fire and he spoke out of the couch and said, may I use you to help transcribe my last word? And I, you know, I said yes, but go through my agent and then we went through my agent and we worked it out and it's the last word of God. I think that's a plenty good reason <laughs> to, to do it. Right, but that's a joke, that's a joke. That's, that's a premise, that's the premise of the book. Obviously, you, that you didn't speak to God. You made this up from your own head. Do I owe you money or...? It's not, it's not that. You owe me a favour after this, but... What, why, why, what would be in it? People on iTunes are watching this. If they're sitting at home and they've stumbled upon this interview, surfing to buy songs from Shakira, <laughs> what does this book have for the average Shakira fan? Well, why don't I read some in a way that would be uninterrupted by you? Okay, that's, a, that's an excellent idea. Why don't you read us some of the book that you've written? This is God, a Memoir, The Last Testament by DJ Javabound. Okay, this is a part about uh, the first couple on earth, which is what God transcribed to me. Not a premise, it's actually what happened. Okay. You don't undercut the premise. It's the first rule of com... <laughs> it is often said, and even more often screamed, at anti-gay marriage rallies outside the State House in Lansing, that I created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Wrong. Now will I tell the story of the first man, Adam, and of the companion that I fashioned for him, 
Steve, and of the great closeting that befell their relationship. For after I created the earth and sea and every plant and seed and beast of the field and fowl of the air and had their place pretty much set up, I saw that it was good, but I also saw that by way of oversight, it made administrative sense to establish a new middle managerial position. So as my final act of day six, I formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed life into his nostrils. And I called him Adam to give him a leg up alphabetically. <laughs> and lo, I made him for my image. Not in my image, but for my image. Because with creations, thou never gettest a second chance to make a first impression. And so in fashioning him, I sought to make not only a responsible planetary caretaker, but also an attractive, likable spokesman who in the event of environmental catastrophe could project a certain warmth. <laughs> to immediately assess his ability to function in my absence, I changed my plans, for I had intended to use day seven to infuse the universe with an innate sense of compassion and moral justice. But instead, I left him in charge and snoozed. And Adam passed my test. Yeah, he was by far my greatest achievement. He befriended all my creatures and named them and cared for them. But I soon noticed he felt bereft in his solitude, for oft he sighed and pined for a helpmeet. And furthermore, he masturbated incessantly until he had well nigh besplattered paradise. So one night I caused him to fall into a deep sleep. Fulsomely did I roofie his nectar, and as he slept I removed a rib, though not a load-bearing one. And from this rib I fashioned a companion for him, a hunk unburdened by excess wisdom, ripped and cut, and hung like unto a fig tree before the harvest. Yea, and a power bottom. And Adam arose and saw him and wept for joy, and he called the man Steve. I had suggested Stephen, but Adam liked to keep things informal. And Adam and Steve were naked and felt no shame. They knew each other as often as possible. Truly their loins were a wonderland. And they were happy, having not yet eaten of the tree of the knowledge that your lifestyle is sinful. Just, 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 so if you like, you know, that would be an example of the kind of thing you would read if you were to take the time, John, to read the book. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that very much. If there is, uh, DJ, a Christian God, how are you going to explain this book to him come Judgment Day? I know God now, so I'm, you know... But he's cool. fine with this. He's, he's, he's fine, fine with, with this. He's uh, fine with words like masturbation and fulsome. Fulsome is fine. Really? Fulsome is, just a, fulsome is just an adjective that means full. Okay. I mean, the masturbate I get, though. So, so is, this, is this... Does God view this as you know, a new work or a punch-up on something that he originally wrote? It's some, it just a lot of things that he wanted to get off his metaphysical chest mm -hmm. uh, between now and December 21st of next year, mm -hmm. for obvious... You know, reasons. Now, this book uh, is... That's when the world ends, if you didn't. He, that's, the world's ending in December 21st. You, to get that out. You, worked, um, you worked at The Daily Show for how many years? 11 years. 11 years, and you worked on a, a very successful TV show uh, for 11 years. What made you want to leave to write uh, a book in the publishing industry, which most people would agree is a dying medium? <laughs> I... I 
I really don't. I think most people, book sales are through the floor. The publishing industry is in real distress. It seems an odd choice, but it's, it's an interesting one, and I'd love to know the reason behind First it. First of all, I'm doing many other things besides this book. I'm working in television, working in Oh, that's in movies, good. That's a relief. In... That's a relief. Okay. Now, the cover of this book, DJ. Yes. God there. The man here, is that actually God, or is that an actor dressed like God? In which case, my follow-up question is, how many times has that actor played or been photographed dressed as God? That is, that, that is a body that God is, God's wearing him. <laughs> that sounds awful. God is wearing that guy. That guy does not have any recollection of that happening. He was also roofied. Right. Roofying is an extraordinarily common procedure with God. You'd be surprised. Because in a white robe... Roofies course, are like a wonder drug. In a, and if we take nothing away from this evening, let it be that, that roofie really is a wonder drug. Um, yeah. how, how, uh, how did you and God collaborate? Was it, was it emailing back and forth? Was it uh, prayer? Nine times out of ten, I would wake up middle of the night, find myself having just written a long portion of text, no recollection of what I was, what I was doing. He had possessed me, he had written it. Occasionally we meet at Starbucks. Uh-huh. Uh, we meet at Starbucks and we would uh -huh. just, you know, we'd just talk over lattes, I would just take notes. Obviously there are a lot of books in the world. No. Oh, there aren't? No. I think there's eight. Oh, there, okay. Eight and of the other seven, the Harry Potter books? Yeah. But, Oh, obviously, there are, some, there are some amazing works of literature that people haven't read. Let's say I'm in a bookstore. I'm looking at the shelf. I'm realizing... Okay, just while you're talking, I'm going to find the next thing I'm going to read because... That's a good idea. Because you're... I'm, I'm, I'm in a bookstore. I'm realizing, wow, I've never read Moby Dick, one of popularly the most seminal books in American literature. I should read Moby Dick, and then I see your book. Why shouldn't I read Moby Dick? Again, let me just reiterate, largely considered to be a masterpiece. I guarantee you my book is funnier than Moby Dick. Okay, that's, that's, I'm fine with that. Do you have another, do you have some proof? Yeah, I'm going to read some more Dow Jones. Okay, because Moby Dick is a kind of works as a pun as well, but carry on. Oh, because I, I, like, like penis. No, like the, the singer Moby. <laughs> How... Let's, let's enjoy another extract from the book. God tells the story of Jesus, which he can tell from a unique perspective, being the father of Jesus, in a section called The Gospel According to Dad. One of the things God wants to do is update some of the sections and parables of the Jesus story that he thinks are no longer really uh, relevant to the 21st century and just make them more relevant. So a couple of updated parables uh, that you might be familiar with that you're either Christian or Jewish but have been in God's spell. Uh, this one is called The Sower. Behold, there went a sower out to sow. And it came to pass that as he sowed, he stepped on a rake which struck him in the nether regions. And a passerby caught, caught it all on his smartphone and rushed home to scatter the images thereof amongst his many acquaintances. And some of the copies were sent to outdated addresses and yielded nothing but error messages. And some were devoured by spam blockers and withered in junk mail folders. And some fell into the hands of those with lives, and they perished in the trash. But a few 
were received by the kind of people who find video of other people being struck by rakes in the nether regions most amusing. And they distributed the images 30, 60, 100 fold until they became viral and spread their meme around the world. Very good. May I do one more? Yeah, why in, not? In this thing that is for my benefit? Why not? I would, I would love to hear some more. The Good Samaritan. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down the road a certain priest, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he broke down and wept. For he saw that the man was his colleague in law enforcement, who had but th three weeks short of retirement. And from that moment on, this Samaritan swore a sacred oath to track down the robbers who had done this to his partner and the two heartless bastards who left him for dead. What followed was one man's bloody journey into the dark night of his own soul, where he would find that sometimes the line between justice and vengeance is drawn in blood. This summer, Taylor Lautner is one good Samaritan. That's, that's great. I very much enjoyed that. And I would love to watch that movie. Now, Shaquille O'Neal has an autobiography okay. out. <laughs> okay. See, now that... And it's coming out at around the same time. Was that an unhappy coincidence? Or did you want to go head to head? Because he's got quite a story to tell, Shaq. He was a dominant power forward. And he's also very funny. First of all, you... Your ignorance of publishing is obvious. It's not a biography. It's actually Shaquille wrote a, a picaresque, sort of realistic novel in the style of Emile Zola. Oh, he did? Yes. God, he's got so many strings to his yes. bow, Shaq. It's called Les Arrondissements, or The Arrondissements, which is a section of Paris. 500-page novel written in French by Shaquille. <laughs> and it's going to be very good, so... Right there, it's a whole different genre. Okay, okay, that, that's fine. Now, is there, an, is there an audio book of this? Of this? Yes. And, and uh, who did you get to play God in that? Quote, God, end quote. Oh, okay. So what part of Morgan Freeman did you not understand? <laughs> I think we're all pretty agreed on what the voice of God sounds like. Yeah. And it sounds like that guy off the Shawshank Redemption. Right. You know, it's soothing, it's got an authority to it, and it's old. But you can, I mean, you can, like, you know how to process visual images of letters into understandable meaning. I feel like at one point I did, but then, you know, with technology coming out, I can't really do it anymore. So you've got to give me more than that. Okay, because I would feel less insulted if you, just, if you were just illiterate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair. Um, now, it's, it's available in iPad. It's also in, in uh, Apple's book form, which is equally user-friendly. You just drag your finger across each page, oh, it, uh, and it physically it's, turns. I, is, it, it's, is it iPad? iPad. iPad. Okay, that's not Ipid. An I what? Okay, I thought it was Ipid. Ipid. No, 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 it's iPad. Oh. Um, now, is it is the same... That, sounds, that makes more sense. Is it the same on the iPad version as it is in the book? Uh, the words are the same, yes. Okay. 
Can I, you know what? You know, that reminds me, actually. Why don't I read some more of those words? That's a great idea. <laughs> Can you do it in a Morgan Freeman voice, but no. not, not in a way that would seem uncomfortably racist? <laughs> so you want it to sound comfortably racist? Yeah. <laughs> That's... That's what I want from the voice of God, comfortable racism, because it would explain some of the things he's done and some of the choices he's made over the centuries. No, I can't do that. Okay. Let, let's hear another bit from the book. Much of the book is narrative. It goes from the beginning of the world, which I thought was a good way to start, to the end of the world, which will be next December. Um, but it's also interspersed with short essays about various topics. One of those topics is America. I'll read you the first chapter of that. Every time I hear God bless America, I get angry. It is not that I dislike the tune. To the contrary, it is far more pleasant than America's national anthem, that shambling melody to which is set the fetishistic tale of the nocturnal survival of a magical pole cloth. No. My objections to the song and the saying are not artistic, but personal. For Americans asking me for more blessings is like Tahitians asking me for sunnier days. America is amply blessed, copiously blessed, blessed a thousandfold. Countless are the blessings with which I have blessed America and its compulsive blessability. <laughs> Consider but a few of the blessings I, the Lord thy God, King of the universe, a region of space that I might note extends beyond the central portion of North America, have already bestowed upon the U.S. of freaking A. I blessed it in its land, the richness and variety of its topography the fertility of its soil, the temperedness of its climate, the spaciousness of its skies, the purpleness of its mountains, and what I think any observer would concede is the unusually high level of its plains fruitedness. I blessed it in its indigenous peoples, whose innate love of freedom was evident in their own freedom from heavy artillery, tolerance to alcohol, the concept of property, or, or smallpox. I blessed America with the two groups of European settlers who first colonized it. The Puritans, an odd-hatted, fun-loathing people who imbued the new nation's character with a healthy sense of wrong and wronger. And to the south, the tobacco farmers of Jamestown, who showed the world that the new land of opportunity could bestow success on anybody willing to work hard and blind the free market and millions of black slaves growing a death crop. I blessed it. That's what happened. <laughs> Not my fault. I blessed it with its founding fathers, who, though they dressed funny, had wisdom and leadership and courage and foresight and eloquence and the ability to compromise, and who were like the current Tea Party in that they dress funny. <laughs> I blessed it with millions of immigrants from every nation on earth. Mankind in its heaving diversity arrived on its shores, and every ethnicity fought to find its place, and in so doing, each one strengthened the character of the nation. Yea, even the Mexicans. <laughs> I blessed America with abundant labor and abundant capital and abundant means of keeping the two at a healthy distance. I blessed it with the greatest generation whose boundless heroism in World War II helped redeem the nation for the band of spineless pussies that sent to fight World War I. I blessed it with a perfect Cold War bad guy, comically evil and patently wrong-headed, alternately frightening and incompetent. I blessed it with an era where everyone thought of the U.S. as the good guy. Yeah, I go way back with America. I blessed it with Martin Luther King Jr., 
whose love and forbearance toward those who despised him was so great, Jesus once asked if he was his brother from another mother. <laughs> and most recently, I blessed, literally blessed, for his name means blessed, America with Barack Hussein Obama, my messenger, the deliverer, the Messiah, at least, but that's the position he held from January 08 through February 2009. Thank you very much. Um, you can just, just leave those at the desk. I'll, I'll pick them up on the way. I'll just, okay. I, think, I, I think two people have just stolen two laptops there. <laughs> uh, now, I was just flicking through the index uh, as you were reading, and there are no mentions in this book of Morgan Freeman. There are no mentions of Billy Graham, and yet Sarah Palin seems to be mentioned 11 different times. Uh, was that intentional by God? Was that intentional by God? What kind of question is that? It, it's God. He does things intentionally. Okay. Well, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll, look, I'll look forward to... Oh, speaking in tongues by Sarah Palin. That'll be interesting. Jesus played to raise by. Wow, it turns out she was right. Um... Now, people turn to the Bible often because they look for answers to very difficult questions. Will people find the same comfort and resource in a book quite as glib as this? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, no. Okay. <laughs> I think that's good to say up front. Um, do you have another reading for us? Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'd love to do that, John. Thank you for the favor. Please. Has anybody here ever read uh, the famous 95 theses that Martin Luther nailed to the door of the cross of the church in Wittenberg? And, uh, okay, if you have read them, then just pretend you haven't read them right now, because I'm going to read them as they actually were, and your knowledge of them would actually ruin the, the premise. So just don't do that. Okay. I'm not going to read all 95, because that would get tedious. Maybe I'm not all 95 in here. But uh, this was the document, of course, that launched the Protestant Reformation. Hi, I'm legendary theologian Martin Luther. <laughs> and if you're reading this, my first thesis is that you're standing outside All Saints Church here in beautiful downtown Wittenberg. Now friends, I'm not the kind of writer who needs to nail his work to the front doors of public buildings to get attention. As I'm sure you remember my last book, Explanation of the Seven Penitential Psalms, was a publishing phenomenon, selling over 13 copies. But my message is urgent because I'm angry. Angry at a Vatican that has become a case study in what happens when hoarding goes untreated for 1,200 years. You know, there's only so much gold you can forge into a crown of thorns and put atop a Carreran marble likeness of Jesus on the cross inlaid with ruby stigmata before the irony becomes uncomfortable. And as for the Pope's claim that he has the authority to pardon sinners, well, he doesn't. In fact, if you bump into him in the Basilica and you say, pardon me, technically he can't even do that. And then he goes off on the Pope for a while. He goes off on the Jews for a while. He really did. And so I have written this document in protest, for I am a protester, and I'm starting a new retro Christianity that reflects this spirit of protest, Protestantationalism. Protestantationalism is a revolutionary new system of worship that will forever change the way you think about slavish adherence to dogma. <laughs> it does away with elaborate religious bureaucracy to let ordinary folks like you get to experience for yourselves the boundless terror of the Lord's wrath. 
It eliminates the middle pope between worshiper and God, and in so doing, frees the Lord to literally pass his savings onto you. Now, let me be clear. Our new religion is not Islam. And just like you, we believe Muslims are godless animals fit for the lance and the pyre. And our new religion is not Judaism. Just like you, we believe Jews should be persecuted, ghettoized, and even occasionally out and out slaughtered. <laughs> Why, I myself am so anti-Semitic that in 1543, I will publish a tract called The Jews and Their Lies, advocating that all tourists and synagogues be burned to the ground and the Jews have pig dung thrown on them in the streets. Uh, what this new religion is, is all the features of Christianity you've come to know and love. God, Jesus, crucifixes, sing-alongs, and of course, plenty of days off. But here's the difference. In my religion, you're the boss. You make your own hours, hold your own services, write your own sermons, and if you get on the ground floor, even create your own sect. Now, by now, you're probably thinking, okay, Marty, this all sounds well and good, but it's going to cost me an arm and a leg, right? No. You can join our new faith for the unbelievably low price of simply accepting the divinity of Jesus. Let me repeat that thesis. You can join our new faith at the unbelievably low price of simply accepting the divinity of Jesus. That's a belief you probably had lying around in your head to begin with. Sorry. One more little section. You see, at some point in its history, the Catholic Church got the ridiculous and morally outrageous idea that good works could somehow help you get into heaven. This has led generations of Christians to engage in all manner of wasteful activities, like behaving nicely and helping people. But the truth is, all men are born stained by a common original sin, even if most of our subsequent sins are plagiarized. This means we are all equally deserving of eternal damnation, condemned regardless of our deeds. Rape a nun, don't rape a nun, it's all the same to God. <laughs> no, we cannot attain salvation through our actions, but only through God's grace. As manifested in the birth, life, suffering, death, and 1500 year working vacation of Jesus Christ. The only catch is you must take Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, to the point where you can imagine him on the cross in agony thinking, it is my pleasure to suffer excruciating death on behalf of, insert your name here, from, insert your hometown here, to redeem his sins of, insert every sin you've ever committed here. But once you accept that, then as long as you keep committing sins, he'll keep having died for them. That's right, once you accept that you're a total moral failure, you're free to go out and be that moral failure. It's just that easy. Thank you very much. That's a loose translation from the original German, obviously. Yeah. So oh, the, ori the original German. German is such a beautiful language. It's a shame <laughs> that we didn't get to hear it in that. Um, DJ, the conflict in the Middle East is unrem thing. unremitting and seemingly hopeless. Does the presence of this book in the world help those problems or exacerbate them? If, every, if, if all the parties there, the Jews, Christians, Muslims, all realized like, you know, like, hey, this, this jackass is insulting us, like, if united to that, like, that would be helpful. That's right? true. So you could become a lightning rod for all the world's faiths. That's right. Now, God judged his success by what happened after the Bible, I'm guessing. How, what does he want this book to do in the future? Well, again, only a year. 
only a year and then it's all over. But in the next year, I think you'd like it to sell a lot. And in fact, there's an asterisk to what I said before about it being only a year, which is that you know he has the plans for December 21st, 2012 firmly in place, in schedule from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. It's a busy day, apocalypse. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing he has for that day uh, that, and this is, I'm just telling you what he told me, that he cannot push back a year, two years, five years, if there was enough interest and purchase of this book to warrant writing a sequel. Oh, that is interesting. That is interesting. Now, yes. do, does the same rule apply with Shaquille O'Neal's autobiography? It's not an autobiography. It's a French oh, naturalistic... Oh, I was forgetting. Now, uh, we're going to... Uh, if there are any questions uh, about uh, DJ's book or... If you have any questions about or questions about like you know general like you know how are you supposed to prepare to interview somebody when you're interviewing somebody you know like like what is the basic background or a question like you know having like what have you learned from working for John Stewart for five years about reading a book before you talk to the guy don't overthink you know, it that's wrote, that's the, that's the big the lesson yeah and just raise your hand we'll have a microphone we'll come to you right here in the third row so tweet of God is a really popular Twitter as you probably are aware. Um, and I my only involvement, and I'll, I'll, I have a tweet, there's a Twitter account called The Tweet of God. Right. My only involvement personally in that is tangentially is that I, I write the tweets and I send them. <laughs> but I have nothing to do with the content. That's an important disclaimer. Right. So to take it from, and I'm sure you're probably uncomfortable with, with this from what you past said, a uh, comedy standpoint, why use Twitter in that when people usually use Twitter for really boring things? And also, why does Tweet of God only follow Justin Bieber? The second question is easy. The Tweet of God only follows Justin Bieber. This is the best answer. He only follows close family. So. <laughs> and then with regard to uh, why I'm using Twitter, we started the Twitter account a year ago as a means of promoting the as yet unwritten and largely unconceived book. And in the year uh, intervening, it has taken on a life of its own. Not so much, I mean, we, with, you know, we have a lot of followers, which is great, but more a life of its own in terms of fulfilling an inner need in me to be heard and sort of still the inner demons uh -huh. in my head. So I, I turn to it like regularly just as a way of saying, you know, stop it, stop it. You know, I'm not, you know, I don't want to kill. I don't, I don't want to kill. Hmm. He's about 60% joking. Um, and, any, uh, any other questions? Yes. Okay, so I'm not going to ask the question about the moderator, although he should know better. Um, <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> me being a believer, I think your book is hilarious. Um, even though he asked you this question, coming from someone who's really interested and not just doing it because he wants a favor. Um, why did you really write this book? It seems like you're making fun of people, but also trying to make them think. And... I really want to know why you really wrote it. Um, I really wrote it because at the time, uh, it seemed there, was, there has been no very, very successful book like this that, not, that just comedically approaches God in a very systematic, thorough way. Now, I actually thought that was the case. I recently found out a couple days ago that there was a book 20 years ago by a British writer whose name escapes me called God, the Ultimate Autobiography. Uh, which sounds pretty funny. I had never heard of it and have no ties to it. Uh, and I, you know, it didn't rock the world because I would have heard of it. Um, but not having heard of that, uh, there's just a lot of low-hanging fruit 
about everything, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Quran, and everything, and it just, you know, as a comedy writer, especially one who's been trained at The Daily Show to like try to be topical, you know, you're looking for an in, and there was an ultimate in, you know, God would know about everything. And also he's a literary character. It's a, it was a chance to write, a, to try to create a character that was actually a character, which, you know, for a, a you know, basic comedy writer is a pretty lofty goal, which I thought was kind of neat to try to attain. And the question's right here, second row. So I'm a writer, and I'm working on a memoir. God's not helping me with mine, though. Um, so should I do that, or should I write for TV and win Emmys? And if you say the second one, how do you win an Emmy whilst writing on television? It's people, there's a mistake, there's a misconception that it's about the, how many people you sleep with. It's not, it's, mm. it's, it's not. It's also, it's also how tightly you cling to the coattails of Jon Stewart as well. <laughs> if you sleep with the, just the one right person, yeah. it can happen. Yeah. Quantity, not quality. The problem is it varies from year to year. Mm -hmm. It varies from year to year. Yeah. You laugh, but it's a terrible situation. <laughs> it's really horrible. Second row, right next to the young lady here. After doing a book deal with God, where, where do you go from there? That is a good question. Uh, in terms of the world of books, I don't know. I don't know. It's a matter for me and, and uh, uh, my publisher to figure out. I work on other things, actually. I, I am working on a movie, and I work on TV, and I'm working on... In, in other media, but uh, you know, I enjoyed writing this book very much, uh, and I would—I seriously would love to have the opportunity to to do another one. But you know, that's all a matter of things beyond my control. But uh, it was—it was a lot of fun. Right here in the fourth row. So why did God choose you? Oh, good uh, question. Now, is that to DJ as an author or DJ as a Jew? Because. <laughs> I would like to know the answer to I both will, of I those was questions. Thinking, I was thinking both, but I was leaning towards the author more. <laughs> he chose me, honestly, because I was looking for work and we had the same agent. <laughs> Daniel Greenberg of the Levine Greenberg Literary Agency. Was there, was there. Could you just easier or anything like that? No, but I can tell you I was really pissed. I had just got that couch. And it was like with some savings I had for The Daily Show and it had a pullout and like it was going to be the guest room like couch. And, you know, it wasn't like it burned but didn't consume. It burned and also consumed. So uh, what was your favorite part about writing the book and what was the hardest part about writing the book? The hardest part about writing this book or any book, I, I think, is just making yourself just do it. Just, just sitting there and doing it. You know, I had a... I had a, a, a comfortable and happy salary job for 11 years that I left to sort of just see if I could make myself do something like this. Um, and the happy ending was I found that I could, which was gratifying, but it was very, very hard to make yourself do it. The fun part was just, um, I deliberately, just making myself laugh. I, you know, you're all by yourself there, and one way to develop, uh, to combat that is to develop a strategic kind of schizophrenia where you are both the audience and the writer, make yourself laugh, and, and you think, well, it's probably pretty good. Or at least, you know, based on, comedy is one thing I know pretty well, and it's, if it's making me laugh, it's probably gonna be okay. 
So I'd make myself laugh, and that would just keep myself company for, for the months. And now I'm crazy. <laughs> Actually, when, we, when we were writing Earth the Book, DJ still had an office at The Daily Show, and he had a map in cards of how the whole book was going to be laid out that was and how it related to each other. That was Earth the Book, yeah. And it looked like the room of a crazy person. No, it was, it was Beautiful Mind. It was the Beautiful it Mind. Was, uh, it was a Beautiful Mind, yeah, but much more frightening about what the... Either the intention was a book or it was a serial killer. <laughs> Luckily, it was a book this time. Yes, this time. Uh, <laughs> yes, final question at the back. Uh, hi. I read somewhere that this book is not being published in the UK, that, that the publisher in the UK couldn't handle this content or something like that. Is that true? Um, I was wondering yes. if, if God took that personally, that he, you know, that the British kind of denied him. And, um, yeah. and more importantly, it seems, you know, obviously from what you read, that um, God favors America anyway. Um, clearly, it's not mentioned in the book. As someone who has read the book, um, he seems to, f ha you know, have a favorite in Tim Tebow. Um, so I was wondering if he prefers American football to European, uh, what do we, uh, soccer, I would call it. Well, these, okay, these are all, thank you for bringing that up husband of my editor. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Simon & Schuster UK uh, is not publishing the book. That's actually something you should know, John. Which, uh, why, why are they not doing that? They, true story, they, uh, they preemptively uh, decided not to, not to publish it because they were afraid it was too inflammatory and <laughs> did not want to get in trouble. England has been secular for about 150 years now. <laughs> that seems an odd choice. I, you tell me about it. I tell me about it. I mean, you know, seriously, I've got great support from Simon Schuster America, but like, they're not publishing in the. They're also not publishing it in the big, selling it, I should say, in the big box stores in America. That now the surprise is no particularly outrages me. Honestly, I I wouldn't expect anything less. And, no. they, and, and they have the right to choose what to sell, but to not even to have my, my the, the the sister company of my domestic publisher choose out of cowardice not to publish the book, make it available. Fuck them, DJ. <laughs> the British people, tiny market, no one cares about that anymore, the empire's over. I made my choice, be comfortable with it. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I'm about 40% joking. Uh, thank you very much uh, for coming, and uh, please let's have a final thank you to GJ Javabaum. Thank you.